0: I was thinking, that's exactly the way we sang it when I was growing up. That's amazing. I <laughs> must have passed that on to you, Greg, from the church I grew up in. So you know, no matter what our stage is in life, no matter where we find ourselves, whether we're um, a young person um, who's on their way to junior high, um, making profession of faith, or um, going on to high school, or um, someone who's going on to college, the next step in life, uh, if you're a young family, parents with young children, if you are older and are empty nesters, if you are retired, we really kind of wrestle with the same questions at every station and stage of life. How can I improve my life? How can I make my life more meaningful? How can I make a difference in the world? These are the questions of life. And there's lots of things that we think are going to provide the answers for those questions. And so we think maybe education is going to do it for us. Once I get my education, then I'll have meaning and purpose and fulfillment, and I'll know how to make a difference in life. Or once I start my career, then I'll have the answers to those questions. Or once I have children, I'm married and solidified, then I'll have the answers to those questions. Once I'm kind of older and retired and moved on, I'm sure I'll know the answers to all those questions. That's what will provide the answers for me few of us think that we'll find the answers to those questions by looking at the Ten Commandments. It's about the last thing that we would think of. It's the last place that we would look for those answers, those key questions of life. And we're going to take a look over the next few weeks at the Ten Commandments, specifically the last four of the Ten Commandments that have to do with our relationships with one another. And we sometimes think of the Ten Commandments as as to um, the kinds of things that we ought not to do, right? We ought not to do all this list of those things so that God will be happy with us and God will be pleased and uh, God will really like us then and He'll probably reward us with some kind of blessings in life. These are things we ought to avoid. And you can tell a lot um, about how people view the Ten Commandments by how they're often used in a worship service. Sometimes uh, if you go to a, a service that has a liturgy printed, They'll have the Ten Commandments immediately preceding the prayer of confession. And what that tells you is, now I've read the list of how I was supposed to live. I was reminded of what I didn't do. So now i got a whole list of things I can use in my prayer of confession. Or, in other liturgies, you'll find a prayer of confession. And we will confess our sins to God. We'll be assured of our forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And then we'll read the Ten Commandments... Understanding that this is how we should now live. This is what we are agreeing to. This is the way we say thanks to the Lord is by following these guidelines that he set out for us in what we call the Ten Commandments. So the f- last four commandments of the Ten have to do with how we live with one another. To have a meaningful and fulfilling and purpose-filled life, we have to figure out how to live in Community. And those of us who are Christ followers are saying, you know, we need to live differently and uniquely from the rest of the world. If we are indeed going to be his source of shining light and living water, then somehow we have to be different than the rest of the world. And living out the Ten Commandments in today's world is much more difficult than it ever has been previously. And it's difficult and made difficult because of all the modern advances in technology and in social media and in computers everything has changed the way we live what do these commandments mean in today's world and how are we supposed to live accordingly to them now whenever you are thinking about the Ten Commandments what is often overlooked um, is the prelude to the Ten Commandments the introduction to the Ten Commandments we find it both in Exodus 20 where the Ten Commandments appear and in Deuteronomy 5. In Deuteronomy 5.6 it says I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And then the Ten Commandments are listed. I am the Lord your God who delivered you from your long time slavery with the land of Egypt. And I redeemed you and I set you free. And because I did that for you, one of the ways you can express your gratitude to me is to live <laughs> according to these principles that I'm spelling out for And for those of us who are Christ followers, it's the very same thing, right? Jesus redeemed us. He released us from our slavery to sin. He set us free on the cross and guaranteed us eternal life through his resurrection. And we want to live the way Christ wants us to live because that's the way we express our gratitude. And so by doing so, we'll follow these Ten Commandments. The introduction is very important. When John Calvin, the patron saint of Reformed people, speaks of the law of God or the Ten Commandments, he says that the law of God is not given to make us afraid of God, but to provide a means of loving him who is our deliverer and the source of our freedom. He also wrote that the law has three purposes. The Ten Commandments really had three purposes. One, is to convict us of our sin. We need to have guidelines to understand when we're out of bounds and when we're in bounds according to God's plan. Secondly, to restrain the actions of evil people who will fear punishment. So we see these Ten Commandments actually as part of the landscape of our nation, right? I mean, thou shalt not kill is is a law in our land. It's not just a Christian law, not just a Jewish law. I mean, murder is really not supposed to be something that we do. We shouldn't steal, We shouldn't commit adultery. These are all generally accepted rules of society. But thirdly and most importantly, Calvin says, that for believers, for those of us in this room who claim Jesus Christ as Lord and the Savior, in whose hearts the Holy Spirit already flourishes and reigns, it is the best instrument for enabling them daily to learn with greater truth and certainty what the will of the Lord is that they aspire to follow. God loves us and God only wants the best for us. And if we live by his directions, we'll find the answers to those questions that I opened with a few minutes ago. So today our focus is on the sixth commandment, which is thou shalt not kill or thou shalt not murder. And you're going to go, perfect. This is going to be the shortest sermon ever. Let's move on. None of us have committed murder. None of us have killed anybody. We are completely off the hook on this one. I know exactly what it means. And therefore, we can move on. Well, I wish that was true, but that doggone Jesus, he always ruins all of our fun by expanding on this commandment and telling us what God really meant. In the the Sermon on the Mount, there's several things where um, Jesus says, you know, your common understanding of what God meant by this is this. But let me tell you what God really meant. And it is the same thing with this commandment. He says, you have heard what it was was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or a sister, Raka is answerable to the court. Anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the hell fire. Now, as Andy mentioned, Uh, I spent what the young people consider to be an incredible time with me going over the Heidelberg Catechism. I mean, can you imagine more fun than that? Um, Many people in this room have studied the Heidelberg Catechism, and um, I'm sure you all have fond memories of it, or you're seeing a therapist. One of the two. Um, It wasn't my fondest moment of growing up. I remember... My mom picking me up from football practice on Wednesday night, and I'd be in the car, and she'd have a bag lunch, and I'd have my catechism book, and I'd be memorizing my questions and answers of the catechism, because I'd have to go and recite them. And of course, I'd study them way ahead of time. I wasn't memorizing them on the way to school, on the way to church. That would never happen for me. But I've come to understand and love the Heidelberg Catechism in a whole different way, now that I'm an adult. This is a teaching tool of the church for years. And what I love about the Heidelberg Catechism, and this is what I said to the kids, I said, you know what, the Heidelberg Catechism asks all the questions that we really have about our faith. And when it gives an answer, a question an answer, when it gives an answer, you know what the next thing is? The next logical question. Here's a question, here's an answer. Well, my next logical question would be this. And it has a whole section on the Ten Commandments. It has a whole section on uh, commandment number six. Here's what it says. I'm going to ask the question, if you will read the answer. What is God's will for you in the sixth commandment? i am not to belittle hate insult or kill my neighbor not by my thoughts my words my look or gesture and certainly not in actual deeds. and i am not to be party to this and others rather i am to put away all desire for revenge i am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either prevention of murder is also by the government is armed with a sword, and so they kind of cover all of the bases here, right? It doesn't allow much wiggle room for us. Even though none of us have literally committed murder, we've all violated the command in the sense that the Catechism talks about it. Some of us, as uh, recently as yesterday, perhaps some of us already today. I mean, I saw the way you looked at other people when they were in your seats this morning, okay? Okay. Why are you in my seat? Well, I'm a visitor. Well, I don't care. We have these things all the time. They happen to us. There's not a whole lot of wiggle room here, is there? Do you ever think of your angry thoughts or looking at someone with a bad look or anything? Do you think of those things as murder or just as the way we live life? That's just who I am. That's what happens. And when we said that modern technologies have made this a lot more complicated, certainly social media has increased the opportunity for all of this kind of thing to take place. I mean, cyberbullying is an epidemic, not in just junior high and high school and with the issues of young adults, but the adult world as well. I mean, I, you know, it's painful for me to look on Facebook and see, you know, what some people have to say about this politician, what some people have to say about that politician. And none of it is really positive. You know, someone is always horrible. And the worst thing for me to read is what people who are Christians post about other ministries and other ministry leaders. It's degrading. It's angry. It says that people really don't know what they're talking about. And Jesus says that that's murder. It's a high standard. Making the greeting, degrading, insulting, uh, or belittling comments to other people is murder. That's a big deal. That's a high standard. Question 106 says this. Does this commandment refer only to murder? By forbidding murder. God teaches us that he hates the root of murder. Envy, hatred, anger, and vindictiveness. These are, You know, murder is a result. It's a symptom of something else. And it's a symptom of envy and hatred and anger and vindictiveness. This is Jesus' point in his clarification of this commandment. People believe that if they had literally kept it, I did not literally kill anyone, therefore I'm living within the bounds of this commandment. And Jesus says, well, that's really not all that God meant by it. He clarified by saying that the standard is a lot higher than that. and includes anger and envy and hatred and vindictiveness. And in preparing for this sermon, I realized that you know, I committed murder last week. Last weekend. I mean, I don't know how to tell you this, but this room was not quite as full as this last weekend. It was Memorial Day weekend. It was a three-day holiday for many of you. It was 80-some degrees. I understand that some of you might have been somewhere else. Second homes, cottages, enjoying the outdoors, doing crazy, silly things like a waste of time like playing golf, um, boating. I mean, I I saw your pictures on Facebook of where you were and what you were doing. You know, yeah, that's what I call pastoral care right there. (laughs) You know, do you really realize what you're doing when you're asking me to be your friend on Facebook? I mean, seriously. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Your pastor's watching. And I was back here and I had to work while well, you were all out having fun. And of course, Greg wasn't back yet, so I had to do everything. <laughs> I mean, I was envious of you. I was jealous. Would have been great. And God says, you know, that's murder. That's the kind of thing that is behind what takes place when someone takes another life. And we might think it's kind of innocent. Ah, that's not that big of a deal. But it is a big deal. Envy is defined this way. It's a feeling of discontented or resentful longing aroused by someone else's possessions, qualities, or luck. When we envy someone else... There's a little bit of resentment and discontent. When we want what they have, when we wish that they didn't have it, it's a little bit like murder because the only way I can have what you have is if you don't have it. And the only way you don't have it is if I take it from you. And the only way I can take it from you is if it's somehow you die. And sometimes these kind of things creep into our vernacular or don't even really pay attention. Like have you ever... Um, yeah, okay, have you ever seen someone else with uh, clothing on that you might like to have for yourself? And you would go, that outfit is to die for. I mean, I know a lot of men say that about me every Sunday, but I mean, you know, that sweater vest is to die for. Yeah, well, three of you could fit in my sweater vest. Or, you know, I'd kill to have that. It kind of slips out of our mouth. Man, I'd kill to have that car. I'd kill to have that boat. I'd kill to have that kind of talent. Wouldn't that be great? And we really don't mean anything by it, but these little things that we have in our vernacular are kind of a way of saying, you know, when you get down to the root of it, you look a little more deeply, it's exactly what Jesus was talking about. And he isn't done with us, by the way. He continues talking about this commandment in Matthew chapter 5. I'd like to move us to Luke chapter 6 where he continues in the same way. But there's a specific purpose that I want to go to Luke 6. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other one also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. So it's not just avoiding the sin of envy, avoiding anger. It's not just avoiding, it's actively engaging in a different kind of behavior. They tell us how to live a grateful life. How redeemed people should live. How we are different than the rest of the world. Listen to what it says in Heidelberg Catechism 107. I'll read the question. You read the answer. Is it enough that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? That's a different world. That's a different world than what the world is that we live in. That colleague who stole your accounts or undermined your business, we're supposed to be patient with them and loving. That family member who took your inheritance that was rightly yours, be gentle and merciful with them. The friend who told lies about you and trashed your reputation, love them and protect them from harm. I mean, seriously. I mean, that whole thing is kind of ridiculous, isn't it? And Jesus would say, Yes, it is. The world doesn't function this way, we would protest. Well, no, it doesn't. That's the point. We're supposed to function differently than the rest of the world. Well, the whole thing is unrealistic. I can't behave that way. I'll get trampled in life. Well, probably. It's probably a bit unrealistic. But not any more unrealistic than someone who loves us unconditionally in spite of ourselves. Who gave up their life by dying on our behalf on the cross and who guaranteed eternal life through the resurrection. You see, Jesus is all about the ridiculous and the unrealistic. I mean, earlier I said that that these commandments are the means by which we will find true meaning, purpose, and fulfillment in our lives. We're not called to be like everybody else. We're called to live like Jesus, which is going to stretch us beyond our imagination. And one of the things that this commandment says positively as opposed to negatively, I mean it says thou shalt not kill, that's negative, the positive thing would be then, we're supposed to revere life, we're supposed to treat other people who are all created in the image of God differently than anybody else does, regardless of who they are, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of their economic or social ranking, Regardless of their religious beliefs, every human being is created in the image of God and deserves to be treated with dignity and respect. And that's different than the rest of the world treats people. To love as we wish to be loved means that we acknowledge the dignity of other men and women. Now, some of these young people who made a profession of faith today are going to go off to college, some secular, some Christian, and they're going to face decisions and ideas and people Social opportunities that they've never experienced before. And they said today, when I leave this place, I'm going to stand for Jesus. And that's going to be different. And as Greg said, it's going to be hard. It's hard being a Christ follower. But there's nothing better than being a Christ follower. You see, we don't have to establish a movement or lead a nonprofit. Or be part of a program to honor the dignity of ordinary people who are created in the image of God. We do it all the time, but we don't always think of it that way. For instance, have you ever, have you ever had a, a little baby in your arms? And you kind of cuddle the baby, and you coo with the baby, and you act like you are the baby, and you say things that make no sense and you t- until you get a smile out of that baby? Then you're revering life. Sunday, our granddaughter was in our house. You know what she likes to do? Run up and down the hill next to Grandpa's house. Grandpa, let's go run up and down the hill. (laughs) Yeah, well, when I was two and a half, I liked to do that too, but I'm a little older now. But I went, because that's the way you revere life. Have you ever held the wrinkled hand of an older person? listen to them tell a story about their life from long ago, that's your very life. Have you ever sat in a restaurant until the manager had to come and say, "Uh, we're closing because you were so engrossed in a conversation with a friend who was dear to you? Have you ever bawled your eyes out? revering life have you ever said I'm never going to watch the evening news again I'm never going to read another newspaper I can't take another murder I can't listen to one more case of child abuse I cannot watch refugees drowned in an ocean because they're trying to escape evil I cannot hear about the sex trade any longer we feel that way, we're revering life. You see, it's not avoiding things. Jesus said it's behaving differently and acting on the positive. That's what it means to live into the commandments of God, to give our life meaning and purpose, and to make a difference in the world. Let us pray together. God in heaven, we give you thanks for who you are. We are grateful for all your good gifts to us. And now, O Lord, we are grateful that we get to participate in this sacrament somehow in a way that we do not understand through the power and mystery of your Holy Spirit. You are going to feed us so that we can be the different kind of people that you've called us to be. And so bless us, O Lord, as we eat this meal together as the family of Jesus Christ.